the holidays, a time to give to others and yourself. At Metro, buy a select Samsung Galaxy or LG and get a second free with an unlimited LTE plan. We're talking massive HD screens, up to 64 gigs of memory, and an incredible 16 megapixel camera. It's happy holidays for you and them. Stop by Metro today. Metro by T-Mobile. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Free phone must be on new line of service. Phone free after all instant rebates. Free phone of lesser or equal value. If congested, the fraction of customers using more than 35 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds. And Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus T-Mobile due to prioritization. See store for details and terms and conditions. This week's episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Managing Madrid Swag. That's right, we have a swag store now. Teespring.com slash store slash Managing Madrid Swag is where you go to support the show and buy really cool apparel, all designed by our cartoonist Finn. Uh, you all know him by now. He's an amazing artist. You can go buy hoodies, stickers, leggings, iPhone cases, pillows, mugs, T-shirts, and it's not generic Managing Madrid logo stuff either, like really cool designs that Finn has made for us. So please go check it out. We'll link it in the show notes so you can click on it directly. Uh, before, I am joined by David Garrido in a moment, who is uh, of Sky Sports, as you all know, and a Supreme Valencia fan. Just wanted to give you a couple housekeeping things. Tomorrow, if you're in Madrid, I'm doing a meetup. Stay tuned for details on my Twitter or Facebook page uh, or Patreon. You can actually go and, and check out the details tonight. So if you're in Madrid, maybe you want to come by and say hi. Uh, I will release details tonight or tomorrow morning. Uh, also, shout out to all of our patrons. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid is where you go to pledge. We have support from all kinds of amazing people from around the world. And uh, if you want to pledge, you get different rewards. You can get myself, Kian Subani, to write an article of your choice, a thousand words, you can get access to bonus shows. You can get all kinds of different cool stuff. So go check it out, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Shout out to these specific patrons who pledge $10 or more. Red Bat, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DiStefane, Leon Stavernakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Mark Rady, Nicole Gant, Sergio Monleon, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Atiri, Raghav Reddy, Aluwapamimo Oladunjoy, Christian Toft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Peña Maridisto, San Francisco Bay Area, Catherine Fagundo, Shanmuha Mantha, Zoran Bosancic, Swai Ayala, Rafael Servia, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, Carolina Reyes, Daniel Smith. You guys are all amazing. Thank you so much for your support. And without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid podcast with myself, Kian Sobani, and David Garrido of Sky Sports. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. We're recording this early afternoon on Sunday in Spain, about 15 hours or so removed from Real Madrid's win over Valencia. And to discuss the game is the great David Garrido of Sky Sports and La Liga Lowdown, Valencia fan before most of you were even born. David, welcome to the show. How are you doing? 
Well, you've got a real knowledge of your audience, and they all like it about 15 um yeah no this is true this is true it's been a, it's been a you know a varied time being a valencia fan let's put it that way um not not huge amounts until last season to get excited about but yeah look you know uh it's it's a we all have our crosses to bear kian that's that's what i'll say actually what do you have the year you officially became a valencia fan do you remember i think it must be i'm gonna say 84 oh geez because okay. it's even more yeah than I because i Well, it's because I'm old. <laughs> But um, no, I remember being uh, in Valencia. We used to go to Valencian community quite a lot as a family for holiday. Um, you know, my parents being Colombian, go away to somewhere Spanish speaking. Obviously, Spain's the nearest place. Uh, we kind of fell in love with that part of the world and Andalusia as well. And I remember going to Mestalla aged, I think it was four, and um, just was sort of dazzled by the place. It was just kind of, you know, you have one of those sort of real vivid moments in your life we just kind of go this is cool i want to be part of this um and you're struck by just the, the, the sheer beauty or magnitude or whatever it is of the place and and yeah and that was it and it sucked me in and and you know i've been a fan ever since so it, it wasn't the team i was born to support as it was you know it wasn't my dad who supported something like that but i adopted them so early and yeah I've, I've, i've been a fan ever since um so yeah um up and down but then i guess that's the way for for most teams unless you're oh i don't know real madrid Or something Oof. like that. But you have ups and downs in different ways, I think. But not in terms of, you know, general success. It's different, you know, it's all relative, different levels of Yeah, it's things. all relative, I think. I mean, there's different kinds of ups and downs. With Real Madrid, it's like, mm -hmm. it's more drama. And, uh, yeah. I mean, and Valencia gets hey, we can a fair share too. too. We can do drama too, you know? Yeah, you guys, you guys <laughs> um, do drama think... pretty well as well. Yeah, yeah. So you know how there's like this, um, there's this thing that we just kind of know covering Spanish football for years, that teams elevate their game against Real Madrid. And I would go as far as to say that they do this way more than they do against Barcelona. Like, chief example is like someone like Sevilla, who has a game of their lives against Real Madrid and will suddenly turn into dust against Barca. And it's always frustrating for mm. us. There's no team that better exemplifies this to me Then over the past few years, anyway, maybe if you go back to like the early century Valencia, like when Claudio Lopez was around, he was like a Barca killer. But like in, in modern day football, there's no team that better exemplifies this idea of raising your game against Real Madrid than Valencia does. Um, and like during the Lim era, apart from last season where Valencia were good, they always like no matter how bad they were against Real Madrid, they turned into these Avengers. I mm. that's why when I was and you and I have talked about this before in previous podcasts and we kind of joke about it and like it's more fun for you I think for me it's kind of gives me anxiety but I was fully expecting going into this game that we would see some kind of rendition of Valencia like going back to their old selves meaning like last year's form yeah are, are you surprised that that kind of didn't happen yeah yes yeah. I am um I I it's Uh, I predicted 2-1 to Valencia ahead of the weekend on La Liga Lowdown. I was the only person who went for an away win, but I thought I had my reasons, um, which was, uh, in a way, the need to, to release the shackles. Um, because I think that's one of the things that you identified with Valencia last year, is that once they'd defended what they needed to defend, and, you know, this very, very uh, solid and very compactful for two, where, you know, the gaps between the players are pretty much identical and they drift around in this beautiful shape um and and just snuff out things from the from the other team then you had this incredible pace on the transition and one of the things i noticed uh, especially in the first half yesterday obviously it changed in the second half and i'm sure we'll come on to that but was how flat we were 
uh, utterly just, you know, we got the ball um, and then and then just I felt like we really slowed it down. I felt that we weren't very good in possession. Um, and that that real danger that you associated Valencia with last year where you you knew what was coming, but it still scared you. I think it's the polar opposite this year where basically you don't know what's coming and you don't really care because it won't scare you. Um, so I was hoping for a response, especially after the, you know, the late Manchester United goal that, that sent Valencia out of Europe, or well, sent Valencia out of the Champions League at least. Mm-hmm. But it never came, uh, or at least it didn't come until, until the second half. So yes, I was a bit surprised. Um, but then it's been, I suppose, just symptomatic of our entire season. I think you had some things going against you in this one. Um one, first of all, I would say, like, once you kind of zoom out and you look at the full-time whistle and you go back to the stats, you kind of see, you know, Valencia having definitely a better start to the second half and, and eventually they, mm. they fell apart on the counterattack when they were chasing the goal. I think you could see, like, it was probably a bit closer than it maybe felt when during when you watch it. But, like, after the game and you kind of revisit, you think, like, Valencia's second half was good. And even though Real Madrid were in control in the first half, they didn't really create that many chances. But I think what you had going against you was one, like not having Kondogbia's presence. And, and by I think by the time that he came on for Coughlin, that was like a bit too late for me, um, where I think Coughlin didn't really provide much in the first half and was a bit of a liability, to be honest. When, when you look at like on paper Valencia, and we talk about a player like Guedes who can be so scary in transition, this is not last year's Valencia, whereas like where Guedish was healthy. Like this is, mm. I think even like Marcelino hinted at this after the game. Like this, he's playing injured. Like Guedish will tell you he's not injured, yeah. but he's not. He's in pain. And then when you look at like Carvajal and Lucas Vasquez, who who are now like in form, where like Carvajal hasn't really been in form the last couple of seasons. Last night it felt like the old Carvajal, and yeah. when you had them two working in sync to kind of thwart Guedish. And Gaia didn't have much support defensively. I think those things weren't really in your favor. And as good as Gaia is at times, and I think he had some good moments here, but he just, I think so that was that was the other thing that was surprising to me in a way, pleasantly surprising, was that Real Madrid actually, like a few players who haven't been in form, like Modric and Carvajal, kind of look like themselves again. Yeah, Carvajal was superb. Um, and, and, and I'm really glad for him. I think, you know, um, there's, it's been so frustrating um, just just having that's one of the big parts I think of the way that Real Madrid attack is the number of times that you see Carvajal get to that byline and and unfortunately for, for, for Jose Luis Gaia you're right there was nothing much in front of him that, that could really give him much of a cover um, I, I think yeah the, the Gedesh thing is, is troubling um, I mean look Players play with injury. They do. It, most players do. You speak to players, and I've done, you know, a lot in my career, and, and, you know, they'll be like, yeah, I'm 70%, or maybe even 50%. And they'll take injections, and they'll take painkillers, and they'll do whatever they do uh, to, to get through the games. Um, and so this is nothing new, but I think it's just that with Gersh, it just really affects his 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 potentness, you know, his, his ability to really run at a player. I haven't seen that for quite a long time. Um, so I think that, and, and, and I think it's not just the injury. It is a genuine loss of form with a number of players. Um, I don't think Kondogby has been the same player as last season. I don't think Barejo has been the same player. And that's three of the four in, in midfield. And, and Soled was a bit lost early in the season too. And equally, I think, you know, that there are other things where, you know, last season, the, the, the first 11 named itself and it would be Rodrigo and Saza 
Well, I, uh, do you know what? Again, I, I mentioned this, I think, previously. Uh, Zaza feels like the player that we miss the most in some respect. Um, you know, he's got that real sort of uh, real determination, that fire in his belly, that nuisance-making capability. Yeah. Um, and and, and we, none of our forwards have really managed to do that. Rodrigo's off colour. Gamero still hasn't really settled. Batshuayi's been a disaster. And Santi Mina's the only one who's been in any way good. And uh, and that's been, you know, having missed, you know, most of the season anyway. So um, there's a very different picture in terms of it just shows how perfect the circumstances were last season for Valencia to do what they did. But how thin the squad is, because then once those players either lose form or get injured, the replacements aren't there and you can't maintain the high level of performance. So that's a sort of general assessment of where Valencia are. But don't forget that Real Madrid did an incredible job off the ball yesterday. Um, you know, I, I thought that the press and I thought that the, you know, the hunger, the, the real sort of harrying that they had to really kind of put the, put the pressure on Valencia, that that was superb right from the start. Um, I thought obviously the Daniel Vasson goal was unfortunate, but it was very much kind of a, a, a very much symptomatic of the entire sort of first 20 minutes where, where Valencia didn't really quite know what to do. Um, and, and Solari had sent them out, you know, with, with a very kind of specific plan to try and, to try and press and unsettle. And I thought that, that Madrid did that excellently. Yeah, and just to go back to what you said about I don't I don't think it's unreasonable to say that you miss Zaza at all because I think and and that doesn't mean necessarily this game in particular but I just mean what kind of he was and still I think that was one of the surprising things generally with what happened to Valencia was what happened to Zaza because he was one of the most informed strikers in the league last season until he kind of just started to um, lose his place and and eventually just was was gone um, over the summer. But but what you said, like I was gonna say, fire. Like that's the word you use, the fire he had, because um, he mm. gave us so mm. many headaches last season, just with like almost maybe in a, in a way some kind of like Diego Costa presence where he gets in players' heads. Uh, I could easily see him getting in someone like Ramos's head. I think maybe that's even a segue because you mentioned the press. I thought Ramos was fantastic yesterday, um, mm. and it's amazing how like he can he can kind of sleepwalk through so many parts of the season and then just step up in big games. And I guess this qualifies as, as a big game because it's against Valencia, regardless of where they are in the, in the standings. He was fantastic. I thought there were a couple like interventions he had defensively where like if he doesn't get there, Valencia can counter. Um, and the press was great. Like we'll, The questions will actually take us into talking about players, like some of the younger players, like Llorente and Ceballos. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, like definitely. players like Modric, Modric were great and um, Ramos was great. Um, I will say, like, I, and, and again, like this was, and I remember speaking to a few journalists at halftime about this because, like, I thought, like, everyone that I was sitting close to was, was like, uh, almost like this really comfortable like sense of like relief like oh Real Madrid has this lockdown this game is easy I thought this was like one instance one bad moment away for Real Madrid for this game to turn and I think like it almost came like before the half was it the Santimina chance that was before halftime right that uh I think it was just after I think it was, it was just because I remember that yeah I think because because Marcelino I think made a change which was to drop him a little deeper. Now, Santi isn't the best with back to goal. Yes, he can turn and twist a little bit. And again, he's got, he can be a bit of a nuisance maker. Um, but I think actually what happened was it was more that he dropped him a bit deeper so he could run onto the passes. And, and Barejo found, found him with a pass. And that was the one where 
he he sort of burst through. The first touch was excellent, really good touch to bring him in towards goal, but then shot over. Um, and um, if that's the chance you're referring to, yeah, yeah. that's the one. But, um, yeah, it was just after half time. So I think it was actually a really quite subtle positional change from Marcy to drop Santimino a little, little bit deeper. Um, and, and it makes sense because if anything, it's going to be Gamero running off Santimino, not the other way around. Um, and so he needs to come a little bit deeper anyway. But it's more so he could face goal. And, and that was the one where you just thought, oh, hello, now we're back in it. And he's just Valencia sort of snapped back into their old self. Um, and it was one of a number of chances in that second half as well. Yeah, I, that's the thing. Like it was, I'm, I'm just looking at the expected goals now. They both Valencia and, and Real Madrid at 0.97. So they were equal in that sense. That's why I thought like Real Madrid had as much control and possession as they had. And I thought the offensive flow was generally good, especially in the first half. And in the second half, it was mostly counterattacks in the game. Um, that the the chance creation was pretty much equal like and and in the second half you have that Gabriel Paulista in like off a corner I think it was mm. really it close. was a Padejo free kick that was flicked on I think by Coquelin yeah, yeah he was right back post I mean like it was a little stretch and it was a an acute angle but um you, you need to at least make Courtois make the save there yeah. um it just came off his shin it, I mean you know he's not the ideal person to be in that position taking that chance but you know it's a chance nonetheless and and this is the thing is it's been one of the stories of Valencia's season that they you know have created so many chances or they, they were in certain games and and just not finishing them off um yeah. and, and and you know it really that virus struck again last night you had and then you had there was that Santimino chance which you talked about we had Gamero in the second half have a good chance inside the box uh mm-hmm. And then, you know, so, like, they, the chances were certainly there. Like, this game could have been, that's what I mean. It was, like, one moment from away from being very different, I think. Yeah, I mean, along with along with the Santimina chance, I think the other one was Batshuayi, which was ruled out for offside in the first place. Oh, but that's right. To save yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. But had he actually scored, the VAR would have proved him to be onside. And right. I think this is, this is the one where you feel like this is just a, a bunch of, players the major players and, and you would call you know batch why that because he's, he's on loan from chelsea and you know he should be someone who is um pretty i suppose comfortable at this kind of level with these you know types of, of of games you know he's played for dortmund as well um that that you know he is woefully short of confidence um yeah. and whatever it is that happened with him and marcelino it seemed to have been cleared up but again we've talked about this before and i, I feel like i'm a, going on like an old record here but you know it's um it's the balance of the, of the of the striking sort of capabilities is not is not there. Um, you know, I, I, I think we talked about Sazar, but I just don't think that any of the partnerships is a natural fit. Rodrigo with Santimina, Santimina with Gamero, Rodrigo with Gamero, uh, Rodrigo with Batshuayi. I mean, if anything, it should be that one. But it hasn't it hasn't worked. Um, you've, got, you've got a lot of runners there, a lot of willing runners. But, you know, you haven't got that as our figure who, who really sort of helped that in terms of the shape of the team. So on that note, here are the stats uh, in terms of Valencia not putting the ball in the back of the net. No team is underperforming their expected goals the way Valencia is. So Valencia, are if they if they meet their expected goals, which is nine more than they've scored this season, they they will sit at twenty four points, which is essentially a, a fight for the championship. Mm. That's mm. that's exact. That's pretty much where Real Madrid was last season. And I mean, Real Madrid is, is not scoring well this season, don't get me wrong, but that's the vibe we had last season where we were like creating chances, like nothing was working. Like, I feel like that's kind of where you guys are right now. Like, not necessarily that you guys have been incredibly good, but in a way that you, I think the, the where you are in the standings, you're just like a few goals away from 
from being like at the top. And that's just kind of the state of La Liga right now. Like it can turn so quickly that as bad as Real Madrid have been, they're what, three or two points, I think, <laughs> off the top, which is just mind boggling to me. Yeah, I, you're right. It's you know it's, it's an insanely tight table, and that's you know to both of our sides' benefits. I would say, um, you know, Real Madrid are definitely not out of a title fight, despite you know uh, certain results, the Abar result, you know, the Alaves result, etc., etc., etc. But um, I think about for Valencia, it's more of a an embedded thing that needs to be sorted out. Which is, for some reason, I know that we talked about you know off air about how both our teams can do drama. And that the drama at Real Madrid always feels like it's drama, but I think actually, um, you know, you're you're fine. Whereas Valencia, I think it is something that it feels a little bit more endemic and needs needs to, you know. And I don't know what the solution is. You know, uh, we, we've got a, uh, you know, the most versatile player we've got playing at right back. Um, whereas actually, what we should have is just a blimmin' right back. Um, you know, and and it's, it feels like the, there's a there's a psychological issue. I think that the, the X. Yeah from the Champions League hurt them we, but we, we, we left the points in Switzerland so you know that, that was the real thing that hurt us not so much losing at Juventus I don't think anyone expected us to win at Juventus uh, it, was, it was the fact that we couldn't beat young boys in, in Switzerland so um, yeah. I think that that's, that's more the problem I think with Valencia um, and I don't uh, you know yes we're not that far off in terms of you know oh, I think I don't know what the gap is to the, the top four for us but that's the more, more of the concern for me is that this might just carry on setting in we had a little brief revival recently um, you know, actually managed to put some goals past Rayo. Um, you know, we, we won a cup game, but it was just very much a false dawn for me. Um, and now the next games are crucial because they're all at home. Um, we've got Sevilla. Uh, I mean, Manchester United's a, you know, a, a dead rubber. Um, and, and Ebro is, you know, should should be. But it's just more like the pressure that's on this team now because they're going to be at home and the, the results are expected. And, and everyone's expecting and hoping for this quick fix. I just don't think it's as simple as that. But do you guys... Uh, I have to look at the standings, but you guys, are you in the Europa League? No, like, no, no! My goodness! You're, oh, 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 sorry. What do you you're, mean in your group? Sorry. You're, yeah, I you're basically you the standings of the table. Right. It doesn't no, mean sorry, anything. Yeah. So yeah. you're you're no, guaranteed no, yes. to be in the Europa League. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, because the point I was going to make was, um, well, this is now you have no excuse if you're out of Europe. Um, but then I forgot about the Europa League, so you may not completely focus on La Liga. You still have something to play for there because if you know, I think winning the Europa League would be would be a good success generally. Like Sevilla, well, it'd be, be a first first major trophy since '08. So yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. Um, I think I think it's the sort of competition where, in theory, we should have uh, you know a, a a decent chance. But um, look, you know, I think it's um, it's something that no one's thinking about until February right now. I think you know you just you've got to knuckle down and get up that table quite simply, um, and and then you know think a little bit about about, you know, the priorities for the season once we get there. I think, you know, I remember thinking about this when we were chatting, God, was it last season, season before, where Madrid got PSG in the last 16 of the Champions League? Mm-hmm. And the question was, will Zidane be there to take them on? Blah, blah, blah. And it was like, you know, yeah. December. Yeah. It's like, guys, come on. You know, we've got so much time between now and then. Uh, let's let's just, you know, the, the, the landscape, the, 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 the complexion of that fixture is necessarily going to be different. And, of course, it was. So I think, you know, it's got to be all about the league um, right now. I think, you know, I, even even the Copa, I just don't really care. I think, you know, the, the point is that Valencia made Champions League last season. They've got to be in amongst the top six, um, certainly early stages of 2019. Um, 
I want to go back quickly before we get to questions to when you mentioned the chance that Courtois saved that if you know Far was there, would have, you know, would have counted or whatever. Um, I think there was so that doesn't even show up on the expected goals. If you count that, then Valencia has a, is even higher. But there was two saves that Courtois made, both mm. called offside, and I just wanted to bring it up just because I thought like those may have been the two biggest moments in Courtois Real Madrid career so far even though they were counted as offside because they were great interventions and stops and their response from the crowd for him um I thought was was amazing like the 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 stadium like roared for him they applauded him huge for those two saves even though it was offside because those were his two biggest moments I thought like you know for and everyone has kind of been un- unconvinced by him I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was a big moment for him. That's all. Yeah, yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Um, okay, questions. Um, Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid is where you go to pledge to get guaranteed responses to your questions uh, and you get different awards based on your pledge, access to bonus shows, etc. First question is from Sajid Reyes. He says, what are your thoughts on the 10 minutes Isco was given to prove himself? For me, those 10 minutes was symbolic of how his now five years at Madrid have been, which is there's no margin for error. In those 10 minutes, he had arguably the key pass in the second goal and a nice dribbling sequence before he lost his footing. Is it me or does he have to be perfect game in, game out for him to be in the reckoning to be a regular in the team while others like Benzema, Bale, etc. get a longer leash for extended periods? What is your assessment of the hmm. situation? I actually haven't talked to you about this, so I'm curious to know what, what your read of this is. It's peculiar, isn't it? I mean, you know, everyone thought Menopotegi was appointed. This would be, you know, the the real sort of beginning of Isco's, you know, magnificent Madrid career because of his relationship with him in the Spain national team and how key he was. But, you know, he, he just didn't seem to, to get that real run. Um, uh, and in any case, that's more of a symptom of, of, of Lopetegui and, and, and how he's trying to handle this team. Um, uh, listen, I, I think that he's an insanely talented player. Um, uh, you know, he he's someone who you would think, someone like Santi Solari, should be able to find a place for, but he's seeming to favour other players. But he wasn't the only one who was left out of the starting eleven yesterday. So it was Tony Kroos, um, you know, and and uh, so well, you know, I think, think Kroos had a little bit of a knock. I think a little bit. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, nevertheless, I think uh, it's it's one of those things where I, I I'm glad that Solari is just taking his time to work out exactly what he wants, and Isco will be there. And as long as it doesn't completely destroy his confidence in him psychologically, then this guy will recover because his talent will just allow him to. Um, I, I think it's, it's quite peculiar, though, isn't it? What, what's happened with him and Solari and exactly why they've fallen out and, and, and whether it's an attitude issue, whether it's anything just to, you know, to do with him feeling this frustration again of just not being considered uh, one of the leading lights when he clearly you know, has, has shown that for his country and, and uh, considers himself to be someone who's given a lot of time and, and patience to Madrid and, and, and commitment to Madrid, whereas you know, the, I'm sure that there are plenty of suitors, as we know. Um, I, I, th- I think that if he is a mature individual who can just not overreact to what's happening here, um, just take a little bit of a measured approach and work hard then I think eventually he will convince Solari. But at the moment, he's still working out exactly how his pieces fit together. And he's giving young players 
a run in the team, which I really back. I think that that's, you know, a, a really sort of strong part of his management so far. And, and I saw you, I think you saw it really yesterday with, with Llorente in particular, um, with, with, with Reguilón as well. I thought he looked very comfortable. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I personally don't think that this is something that, as, as we've said before, these things get magnified. And of course they're going to get magnified. But don't judge him on 10 minutes. Judge him over the, the course of like, you know, six, eight, ten games and see exactly how much he's featuring in. And hopefully the, the mood music around Isco and Solari will, will change. Solari has been playing a very straight back with it publicly anyway. Um, you know, just saying, oh, I'm satisfied with the player, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but these things do work themselves out over time. I think it's a little early to judge. Um, yeah. And, I, and I, th- I think that he does have a future. I can't imagine that he'll move in January. I just, I just think that that would be no, madness. No way, no way. Um, and and that, would be, that would be short-term as both from the player and the club. So, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think like in a few months we'll probably forget about this situation to begin with because it seemed to me I I like some people think it's like purely just like something happened in the dressing room. Other people think it's a tactical thing. I think it may be a bit of both. I think I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I think it may be a bit of both. I, I but I think like if it's something like off the pitch, it's probably even resolved by now. Like if he's back in the team, um, like. Carvajal also mentioned in the post game that you know how much everyone loves Isco in the locker room. You know it's easy to get along with. He's, he seems like a fun guy to be around, to be honest. But I think with with on the field, it's I don't think Solari in the limited sample size we have sees him as like an attacking winger the way he sees Asensio and Bale and maybe even Vinicius. Um, and he wants him in midfield where Modric, Kroos, and Ceballos currently are playing. So there's like that too. Mm-hmm. So if he plays mm-hmm. that role, he has some, a bit more competition. Um, I want to squeeze in uh, at least another question because I know you have to run soon. But uh, this one is really interesting to me. Abdullah Al-Shalan says, This is one of the most encouraging games this season. Llorente reminded me a little bit of Redondo. What do you do? You see that too? Regulon, Lucas Ooh. Vasquez. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to talk about that part. Regulon, Lucas Vasquez, and Varane are honorable mentions. I think the team is missing a pure striker, maybe a Cardi. So I, I, but I think what was interesting, David, is that in the post game, like everything Solari said was about the youth and giving them a chance and like how, how like, you know, he would just kind of turn the, every question into like talking about all the youth players. He would list all of them from Valverde to Vinicius, Llorente, Ceballos. It kind of like has this feel to it that, you know, like how years ago we had that influx of young talent that, and we a lot of growing pains to get through too, like, you know, Ramos and Marcelo, for example, were young. Mm. They were making a ton of mistakes and our patience with them kind of essentially paid off. I kind of get this vibe to that where we have these players like Ceballos now, like that in a different capacity, maybe like seven years from now, we're talking about them the same way. I'm curious to know what you think. Like that is Solari... It, he just seems to be really enamored with the kids right now, and I think for good reason. Like they're they're clearly talented. We saw them all grow up. Like we saw Llorente and Ceballos grow up and play for the under twenty one team, and that team was amazing to watch. And so, like if if we can kind of put some faith in them, you kind of see the fruits that they're bearing now. Yeah, I think he wants to make this his stamp. I think that you know, yeah. obviously, uh, you know, he's he's had time with. Um, you know, in, in at Real Madrid anyway with Castilla. And I mean, you know, regardless of, of how he did with that team, clearly I think that's where he sees his talent is, is trying to 
develop youngsters, trying to impassion youngsters and encourage them and inspire them. And and he's giving them a lot of, of airtime at the moment. And that's both in, in terms of minutes on the pitch and, and, and news conferences and, and mentions. And I think look, that's part of what a manager does. And I think, you know, this is one of the things that I'm really interested to see with Solari over time is how much of a manager he'll be as well as a coach. I think the coach side of it, we're, we're starting to unpick and, and over time we will really understand what his philosophy is. But in terms of a manager, and this is where he has a touch of Zidane as well, is, is how he handles players. And that includes in those public declarations. And it feels like it's clearly a sort of a designed thing at the moment to really give them the big up. And I don't see where there's anything wrong with that. Now, there's a, there's a fine line between big up and pressure. But I think that, you know, behind closed doors is where you manage that side of things as well. Um, no, I, I think this is absolutely right. And, you know, this is maybe a, a course sign for him and what he's about. Um, and, and right now, you know, Real Madrid, you know, talking about... Uh, what the, the the teams traditionally stand for um you know maybe it's less that galactic or stuff right now and now it's more you know the like so i mean even players that aren't young but feel like they're young like lucas vasquez like yesterday i thought he was he was excellent and you know i'm starting to think that he's a player who you know uh, now has a smarter game and but yet has still that that real sort of joy of youth in the way that he plays how direct he is but you're right to mention your end there. And the, the, the Redondo thing is really fascinating. I'd never thought of it like that myself, but I, I kind of get it. Um, because, yes, he was a, a defensive midfielder, but he was more like a deep-lying playmaker. And, 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 and he had energy and, you know, he, he could actually just, you know, the, the thing was it was his passing, his control, which really was the signpost of it. But, you know, actually, he, he was someone who, at times was quite aggressive. At times he had good acceleration. He was almost like the complete midfielder. And and I thought Llorente was a real for, you know forgotten figure. And now it seems like he's been revived and and that may well be the power of Solari is the sort of you know the real kind of um, psychological side of it and and making these players blossom into what they really want to be. Um, so so I think it's exactly the right kind of call. And of course what that does is it puts the pressure on the players who are more able to handle it because they've just had more experience you know uh, other other players who are older and world-class and won you know La Liga titles and Champions League galore uh, well certainly Champions League galore um mm-hmm. and and they and, and they and they are the ones who then know how to maturely handle that and go right well I need to reassert myself with my experience and my authority here um so it feels like the right kind of balance to strike I think so I think and, and you know I, I could talk about Llorente forever but I I for me, this was like a huge, like proud Papa moment because I've been championing for him, <laughs> yeah, like since the Alaves days. Because I really thought, like that Alaves sixteen seventeen season, he was one of the best defensive midfielders in Spain that year. And Alaves, you know, mm. that was the year they made the Copa final and they they looked good in the league. And Pellegrino was an incredible coach for them. And but Llorente was a huge part of that. And I remember, um, I wrote a column that year. And I actually made a reference to stylistically, he reminded me of Redondo in some ways. I don't think mm. he'll ever be as good as Redondo. I mean, happy to be proven wrong 15 years from now, but he has this like elegance to him because he has like that tall figure, tall kind of like skinny yes. figure, and he can glide with the ball. And if you ask me, like, you know, if, if you know what his traits are, everyone will kind of tell you he can read the game, he can, dis- he can distribute, um, and he can, you know, read the passing lanes and be a nice defensive midfielder who's always in position, um, which is what the team needed yeah. essentially when Casemiro went out. But he has this this ability to kind of dribble out of these tight spaces with these one hundred eighty degree turns, and yeah, and he's just kind yeah, he's of more like, technical than he's given than he's yeah, given credit for. I, I think, think so. I'd agree yeah. with that. And, and 
and and and you know Redondo had other had other qualities alongside the ones that you you mentioned he just chose his moments to show them you know there was just times when you kind of thought actually you know he's contributing in lots of different ways here but he knows what his strengths are he knows what his main sort of role in the team is and his main game is but there are times when you have to just you know you have to double up and do something else um and and so yeah so i think that you know yorente has that as well like his his ability to read the game is also not just reading the game and search, you know, knowing where the next pass is going to be and positioning himself, but knowing what he needs to do to fit in with the rest of his teammates at that moment in the game. Maybe there's someone else who's not quite fulfilling their duty. He needs to maybe assume some of that responsibility as well. It's one of the things that actually I think shows another quality, which is something that we may well see from him as, as uh, depending on the trajectory of his career, which is leadership. And and I do wonder whether, you know, it's, it's one of those things that Solari is trying to do is work out who the leaders are on his team. Yeah. And by giving these young players a little bit of time on the pitch, he can work out which ones are the natural leaders who show those qualities because they're being given the opportunity to do so. Not just to play, not just to play in their positions, not just to fulfill their normal roles, but also what else have they got? Um, and it's again, it's a real sort of really interesting psychological exercise across the piece. Um, because if this is going to be his mark and he wants to try and have a decent impact with Madrid wherever long he stays, then I think this is this is it. And it might well be some quite key psychological profiling that he's doing that allows him in future or a manager that takes over from him to to, to, to work out how, how Madrid looks in 2020 and 2022. Yeah. Well, there was one there was a few moments in this game, a few different plays where he will like release the ball. He passed it to Varane, and then he he's like barking instructions to Varane, and I was like, "This is kind of cool. Like, he's this young kid. He like doesn't look shy, and he has every reason to be shy in a sense because he hasn't played in like two years. Like, I would, you know, it's it's. I don't think it's easy to like, for, like from a mental perspective, to just be thrown in there and be playing alongside people like Ramos and Varane, and then, but I mean, after the game, Carvajal was like, "No, I don't even think he was prompted. He said Llorente was outstanding for the second game in a row." And mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. the the stats also too. Like we talk about his passing, I think if you can approve of that, but completed ninety five percent of his passes. At, you know, and also the most passes of anyone on the field, eighty three, which is a crazy number. Yeah, um, it, good signs, good signs. David, David I absolutely though, think so. Yeah. I think I've kept you long enough. Uh, probably even <laughs> no, probably no, longer no. than you were anticipating. Um, anything to plug before we go? What's what's some cool uh, stuff? No, I mean, listen, we 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 continue. We're into the you know the the heart of the season now. We're approaching Christmas. You know, we've got um, our usual sort of bits and bobs on on La Liga lowdown. Um, our, our podcast is doing well, which is great um, over in the states uh, and well, just North America generally on on Sirius XMFC. So that's great. Um, and yeah, we're we're growing. So yeah, we just we just continue to sort of bed down and um, just just make sure that we sort of keep knocking out the content and, and doing it as best we can. Um, just for everyone to enjoy. So you know, it's not just myself, but it's Paco, you and Alex and Roman, who was um, who settled in great as well from Barcelona. So yeah, yeah, just um, the usual places for us at La Liga Lowdown on Twitter and our YouTube channel. Just pop that in, and you'll find it. Um, and um, yeah, that's that's basically what what we're up to. And just hoping that this season, Kian, just remains as compelling as it is, because that's what's helping all of us, right? You know, in terms of. You know, spreading the good word about La Liga across across the world and 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 talking about the you know the the, the really interesting matches. But the, 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 the matter who you support, 
uh, the fact is that we've got you know one of the tightest tables that we've seen in recent years and certainly across the European leagues as well the tightest table there is along with Germany so I think that you know that, that's a very good sign and hopefully that will continue into Christmas and beyond yeah it's been it's it's been amazing to cover La Liga this season so everybody please go check out David's work check out La Liga lowdown um, David Garrido thank you so much for doing this my friend let's let's chat soon and um, hopefully Hopefully, maybe, maybe I guess for the next Valencia game, we'll, we'll chat again, but hopefully sooner than that. Hopefully uh, before then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, always a pleasure, Kian. Don't worry. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate.